2: Hey Rush Nation, before we get to today's show, which is an absolute banger, trust me on this, I want to tell you about the Fantasy Football Playbook. Murph and I have been working really hard, blood, sweat and tears have been pushed into our first publication. It's a book about fantasy football shock. This is a fantasy football podcast, but it's got strategy guides for all formats, rookie player profile reviews, Murph's PAS metric, which is exclusive to the podcast and the book. Head over to fiveyardrush.co.uk into the shop and go buy yourself the Fantasy Football Playbook.
1: Hey everyone, Scott Hansen here from
2: NFL Red Zone. I hope you're checking out one hour of Five Yard Rush, one of the best podcasts on NFL football in the UK. Yo, what's
3: happening, Rush Nation? We're back. It's Tuesday, new week, new guest. Big man, how you doing? I'm all great thanks mate it's uh you know not not been a bad day today in terms of sitting inside looking at wonderful weather. You obviously are out in it a lot more than me um still another day in lockdown. this is lockdown day one million six hundred and eighty four thousand nine hundred and eighty two um yeah I'd like to say I've done something really radical or different today, but all I did was spend. Like four or five hours on the phone. I say phone, like video conference. So uh, it's a bit of a bustman's holiday, but at least we get to talk about things more interesting than uh, SEO. So I'm, I'm quite happy. How about yourself, my friend?
2: Yeah, good. I've actually been lucky. I've been sat inside a tractor for the last couple of days. So if it's raining, I don't get wet. And if it's cold, I stay warm and vice versa because the air is air So yeah, can't complain at all. But there's going to be football this season. The NFL come out and said it. They tweeted like a few days ago, I can't remember exactly when it was. But there's gonna be football. Can't wait for that. So we thought, well, if there's gonna be football, we should bring somebody on who's who knows about football inside and out. So joining us today is former New York Jets Pro Scout, aspiring NFL GM, lifelong Redskins fan, or the Washington football team, I suppose we should call them now, and author of the most controversial book in sports, Whatever It Takes, is Dan Kelly. Dan, welcome to Five Yard Rush. How you doing, buddy?
0: Thank you. Thank you, guys. Thank you for having me on. It sounds like this pandemic is worldwide, the same kind of things going on here. <laughs>
3: yeah we we're i think we're at different stages um we kind of got it before the u.s and uh yeah so we're still it's i mean we're still technically in a lockdown um there's still social distancing and things we have started to open the country up like the pubs and bars are open uh, although i haven't been to one yet i'm not quite debted enough to uh put myself on the line um despite living in one of the safest parts of the country where do I think we've reported a case for 15 days now, which is pretty good. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's, it is global, and I, I speak to clients all over the world. So um, a lot of people are still at home. I think we're going to be at home for for quite a while. But hopefully, at least if we can open up a little bit more and things are safe, maybe Stocks and I can get in the studio at some point. <laughs> yeah. uh,
0: I, I tell you what, guys, I, I don't think there will be a social distancing on the football field. No,
3: absolutely not. We've, <laughs> And, and to be honest, I don't think that's a, a, as big a thing. I think if it's all controlled, I mean, people, I know there's a lot of reservations about NFL now and, and teams and players, but, you know, we, we've we just overcome. I was very skeptical that anything could work. And then I've just watched the uh, EPL season end here. And you are talking about this. They're not as big, obviously, the teams and the squads of players, but you still talk about isolating 30, 40, 50 people um, traveling all, all over the country. And again, it's a vastly smaller country, but very, very few COVID cases came out. I think it was around they, – they tested around twelve, twelve to 18,000 times and recorded about 11 positive tests from when the team got together. And they weren't completely isolated. They went home to kids and parents. But it just shows with the correct level of planning that you can reduce the risk to to virtually nil. So there wasn't many – you know, you're talking about ten, ten, ten to a dozen tests confirmed positive out of you know twelve to eighteen thousand tests that were carried out, and I think if the NFL can learn from what's what what's gone on in Europe, I think it, it will work well. Um, and I don't think there'll be as many concerns. But obviously, we've got a lot of players opting out, as we've seen today. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting. But I'm confident that the NFL, if if any organization in sports, yeah. can has got the money to sort this out it is the nfl i think if if gms can agree to a travel plan and make this work and the hard thing is going to be the, the interstate travels and and doing it like you know east coast to west coast there they will be the risky travel option so i don't know if they can change the schedule and have more people localized uh, and do the local games uh, as much as possible I, I don't i mean i'm not paid enough by the NFL to sort that of out but yeah I, I mean what what's your take on it Danny you're you're over there you you kind of know what's going on uh more than us do you, do you th- do you feel confident that not only there'll be a season but it'll be a complete season and do you think that the the NFL will find a way to to, to deal with COVID?
0: I really do. I really do guys. I mean, I, I think that, you know, uh, America and, and the world as a whole, I mean, obviously the NFL is a worldwide um, uh, sport really and, and, and people over the world watch the game. I, I think the world needs football this season. I think they're going to do everything they possibly can to, you know, return some sense of normalcy back to the world and, and give us back football. And uh, I think they're going to make provisions this year with, you know, trying to have, you know, more, more people on the roster. I've heard, you know, 80 or 90 men rosters, um, you know, just trying to see. You know, if some people will opt out. I think it's going to be a season unlike any other. Obviously, there's going to be a lot of unexpected things that happen. Uh, but just like you know, tomorrow is unexpected. Who knows what's going to happen tomorrow even. So, so, but I, I do think they're going to do everything they can. They're planning on it. And um, you know, as as it is right now, um, they've waved the punter off the field and, and they're going for it.
2: With how fast everything's going over your side of the pond, it's. Like Murph said, if there's somebody going to get it done, it's the NFL. It just stuffs changing at such a fast pace. And this holdout by players, not holdout, but opting out by the players could snowball. You know, we saw a few today and come tomorrow, Mm -hmm. could it be eight and then 16? And then, I mean, you've only got to look in the baseball. The the Marlins game's been cancelled because of COVID and and they're going ahead with the season. So it, it might not be NFL as we know it, but fingers crossed we get some semblance of football. But Dan... How did you get into football in the first place and wanting to become a scout?
0: Well, that's a great question. I I grew up a a rabid fan of the Washington Redskins uh, back when I grew up in Minnesota. And and, um, it says that I was eight years old. I saw a game on TV and and my parents' television was the Redskins versus Vikings. Uh, They were huge Vikings fans. Uh, I was in love, but not with the Vikings, but with the Washington Redskins. You know, it was it was love at first sight for me. I mean, everything about the team, I, I, you know, I just it just resonated with me. The team, the colors, the Joe Gibbs, the Hogs, the offensive line, the great offensive line they used to have. Um, you know, just everything about the Redskins, the energy, the crowd, everything about them just resonated with every fiber of my body. And so I, I just became a, a a rabid Redskins fan from the time I was eight years old. And um, I mean, I, I when I say I was a rabid fan, I mean I ate, breathed, and slept. Mm-hmm. Redskins football. Uh, my entire bedroom was a Redskins shrine. Uh, I had uh, you know posters and pendants and and newspaper clippings on my walls. I, I wore different Redskins jerseys and shirts at school every day. I had a different Redskins hat on every day. <laughs> you know I mean it was it was I, I was just crazy. I was wild about the Washington Redskins. And um, you know, I mean, I even kept a countdown chart in my closet door. Uh, during the offseason, how many days it would be until the next Redskins game. <laughs> so I, I'd walk around school in high school, and I would tell the kids, you know, my classmates, I would say, hey, it's only 221 days, the next Redskins game. You know, so, so I was, I, I mean, I, it was, and I, I recorded all the games on, on VHS tape back then when I was growing up. So even when the season ended, it didn't end for me because I'd watched all the games all off season as well. Well, I still have a tote, like a plastic tote worth over 200 Redskins games on VHS tape. I still have to this day. my wife, keeps asking me, are we really going to move that? <laughs> it weighs about probably about, about 75, 80 pounds. Uh, but we did. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, that, that's what I did. I watched all the games. I studied the football. I studied the newspaper. I studied anything I could get my hands on because I, I like I said, every waking moment, if I wasn't reading about football, I was talking about football. If I wasn't talking about football, I was watching football. And if I wasn't watching football, I was dreaming about football. So so it was all football all the time and uh, to the point where that was my singular focus all through my upbringing.
2: That's an intense story as to why you are a Washington Redskins (laughs) (laughs)
0: fan. It it really was. It was was incredible because even when I was like 13 years old, (laughs) I started writing letters to uh, head coach Joe Gibbs, and he started writing me letters back um at that age even um and and in the letters i mean i i've begged him not to trade i'm talking about the head coach now of the of the team i i he's in the hall of fame i begged him not to trade jay schrader uh, who's my favorite redskins quarterback of all time and uh, he wrote back a really nice letter to me that appears in my book uh, whatever it takes all, all the letters and everything are right in the book uh do you want to hear what this has to say yeah OK, so let me get to this. So, I mean, this is not like one of these, you know, these, these uh, you know, standard you know, form letters a lot of people get. I mean, this, this was personalized to me. It says uh, September 1st, 1988. Again, this is a response to me begging him not to trade the starting quarterback, Jay Schrader. So it says, Dear Daniel, thank you so much for your letter and your comments about our quarterback situation. It's not been an easy decision, but one that we have worked late into the night uh, deciding on. I'm sure you know whatever we do, we do because we think it will help the team win. We have a lot of hard work ahead of us, without a doubt. Uh, but I can tell you, your loyal support gives us an advantage. A few other teams in that have. I've always said the Redskins have the best fans in the NFL. You know, so, so, you know, back to my upbringing, you know, I would write letters to Coach Gibbs. He would write back. I had a chance when I was 13 years old as well. The uh, Washington Redskins came to Minnesota, played the Vikings on uh, Christmas, the day after Christmas in 87. My parents got me a ticket to the game. It was the first game I'd ever gone to. And I was... Um, um, you know, I, I, I was my parents and grandparents were playing a card game on living room on Christmas night. And I started calling all the hotels around Minneapolis and St. Paul up in Minnesota in the States. And, and, and they're trying to get some of the players on the phone, trying to find out where they were staying. <laughs> and, and, and sure enough, uh, you know, this one lady answered the phone. She said, good evening, Bloomington Marriott. That was in the city and, and the name of the hotel. Uh, how may I direct your call? And I said, well, Text Manley's room, please. And uh, Dexter Manley was the, the uh, for those of our listeners that don't know him, he, he was the star defensive player of the team at the time. And really, uh, you know, he was, you know, probably arguably the best or second best cash rusher in the NFL that time, next to Lawrence Taylor, a uh, perennial Pro Bowl player. And, and the woman said, one moment, please. And the phone started ringing. And my heart went in my heart, in my thoughts, I'm 13 years old. And, and, and the guy answered the phone, he goes, hello? It is Christmas night, 1987. And I said, Dexter? And he said, yeah. He goes, who's this? I said, this is Dan Kelly. I'm one of your biggest fans. And he was in the mood to talk. And, and, and I started telling him about how my his poster hung on my wall in my bedroom. And he started telling me stories about what it was like to sack the Dallas Cowboys quarterback. <laughs> it was just it was incredible. And, and uh, you know, he said, uh, well, you know, how would you, you know, how would you feel about coming out to the team hotel tomorrow morning? And, and I'll introduce you. I'll give you autograph some stuff. Take some pictures with you. And 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 I'll introduce you to the guys on the team. And so I, I'm thinking to myself, you know, I, I get off the phone. I, I I yell at my parents and my grandparents. I'm like, Dad's family invited me to the team hotel. Dad's family invited me. And they're like, sure he did, sure. And and so I'm I'm sitting, you know, I walk in and there's Baxter. He autographs some stuff for me. He says, hey, let me take you take you back to the team's eating breakfast. And I stood back there by the conference room and one by one. I feel the dreams. The guys walked out, they all autographed my poster, the pictures of me, and of course, with me rather. And, and three weeks later, four weeks later, they won Super Bowl 22 against the Denver Broncos. Uh, so 42 to 10 in, in San Diego. So, you know, it was stuff like that it was interjected. It just fueled my passion for it. I mean, I was just, like I said, all Redskins all the time. And I wanted to play football, but I wasn't big enough to really play. Plus, I was terrible playing. I went playing one year of high school football, I was so bad at playing safety. That I was the only kid on my team not to earn a letter jacket, which in the States, if you get enough playing time, you get like a letter jacket to wear as a, as a high school player. I, I didn't get I didn't see the field. I was so terrible. So, so <laughs> and I, I barely barely passed through high school because I was so focused on football and I flunked off a small college um, in Minnesota. And, and I just you know from there, I, the passion was just there. I, I I'd gotten this. I was 17 years old. So Tony Rosano, Secrets of NFL Scout. My parents got me for my 17th birthday. It was written by the scouting director of the San Francisco 49ers back in the 80s when they built their dynasty with Bill Walsh. And, and that's what I wanted to be. I wanted to be an NFL scout. So I just kept driving towards, you know, one day hoping to become a scout
3: incredible story and it's just amazing like different different eras like imagine that now you find out the name you find out where the team was staying because you could probably find that information a lot easier now but then imagine just calling up the hotels like yep hi i uh yeah can i I speak to kyla murray please (laughs) kyla hi (laughs) yeah just calling from this calling from england just asking how it's going (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> it just wouldn't
3: happen now because of all the extra. Security. And do you know what? I think you know. I, I grew up um, watching a lot of different sports, and I, I can you know resonate with those times, especially the late '80s, the early '90s. You could do stuff like that. The players yeah. just weren't these celebrities that they are now. They were you know well known, reasonably well paid, obviously not by today's standards, right, but they right. were they were human. They were human people who would go the extra lengths. Now with Cameras everywhere, camera phones. Players can't do that. They can't ever relax and show themselves. I I remember getting into a a conversation with with Ross Tucker and he was saying to me, I very rarely can express on certain topics openly because I get scrutinized for every word that I say. Um, And actually, I have to be careful about commenting on certain things in a certain way because... I'll get. I'll, I could lose everything over it, and it's like it yeah. makes sense. People have to be so reserved and careful now, and every word they say gets scrutinized. To it, it kind of takes that that joy out of being a fan because I don't think there's any better. Exp- like that story you say is just absolutely amazing, and just people today, a thirteen year old kid now could never replicate something like that. Could never really get the opportunity to go to a hotel meet the players before again it just wouldn't be heard of it just wouldn't happen like it and it's sad that that it's it's a little bit like that because these people especially the players probably want that little bit where they can express more with the fans and and be open Mm -hmm. and and do those meetups and do very special things because they know the kind of power that they have and and the way that people you know celebrate them so it's amazing I, i hear that story i resonate with it so much and yet sad that that will never happen again and it, it, that is a sad thing, I think.
0: It is. It was a wild time, guys.
2: I think it's the most interesting start to asking somebody about their fandom of a team we've had to date on the podcast. People come in and say, yeah, I played, I played a team on Madden and I got hooked by them. Or Murph moved to Orlando, which is another step up on just picking a random team. And then <laughs> we've got Dan here, who's just Redskins 24-7 all year. And yeah, just the experiences you've had, just like Murph said, in, with, our children aren't going to be able to do that. So it makes the story even better because of what it was as to what it, it could never be now. And and it's just, I, it's almost unfathomable, isn't it? Like, see so you and me, Murph, like how awesome that would be. I mean, even if you want to see people at a game here now, you have to wait for hours afterwards, and then they walk out of the, the stadium 15 feet, might sign one autograph onto the bus and they're gone. And that is as close as we, without having press passes or backstage or anything like that, will get to an NFL player. So, yeah, that's absolutely mind-boggling, the level of the stuff you had as, you, as, a, as a Redskins fan. It's mad, absolutely it's, it's inc- mad. It's
0: incredible for me even, even talking about it.
2: <laughs> exactly. I
0: was there. I was there. Yeah. <laughs> it was, I was and to me, I look back and I, it's 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 just it, it was an incredible time. It really, it really, to your guys' points, it was an incredible time. And uh, you know, if I ever become the uh, general manager of a team or sometime soon, you guys will have some access once we come over there and play or something. I, I can tell you that.
3: <laughs> uh, we love that. Uh, I got a little taste of it last year with the Buccaneers, and uh, it's a it's a different different world when you get to to see practice and uh, and get to talk to the players. It's it's a very unique experience, but. Talking a little bit about then how you, you ended up becoming a, stout, a scout, because the story is, is incredible. Um, you know, talk, talk a little bit and, t- and tell Rush Nation sort of how you went about from uh, taking your scouting report, sending it around the league to, to eventually getting the job with, with New York.
0: Yeah, it was an incredible process. You know, from the time I was, you know, I, I did my first, um, you know, I really reached out to Charlie Castley, the, the Washington Redskins GM at the time, back when I was about 17 in high school. And I asked him for an internship. I had done a 75-page uh, report uh, on the 1992 draft, the year Desmond Howard was coming out. And, and he wrote back, and that, all the letters again are my book from Charlie Castley too, and and, and the, the GM at the time. And, and he said, you know, you're still too, a little too young. Uh, check back up to your first year of college. But, you know, I, I did the college thing for a little bit. It uh, wasn't, you know, it wasn't my cup of tea, so to speak. Um, you know, dropped off a small community college. Like I said, I failed out. And I found myself just kind of working a, a regular regular job. You know, I, quite a few of them, actually. And uh, didn't really stick anywhere. I mean, I worked at fast food places, grocery stores uh, through my teenage years. Um, and then I found myself working on all-state insurance uh, as an insurance agent in the States. Um, you know, selling, like, you know, like property and casualty, like car and house insurance and that type of thing. And um, there's an ad, there was like this sports radio show, right? Um, and this is when I was about 21, probably. Um, and there was a sports radio show on It said, well, you know, the first, um, you know, 32 callers call in, you can come out to the Minnesota Vikings headquarters, bring a friend, you know, have lunch, like almost like a mock draft, if you will, uh, you know, like before the draft, like a draft party, uh, if you guys have seen those before. Mm-hmm. And, and so mm-hmm. I, I, I told, you know, I had night open phone lines. So I started dialing the phone and <laughs> into this radio station. And they said, Congratulations! You're the second caller. You're going to represent the Jacksonville Jaguars. It was 1995, the first year we're in the league. Uh, on the radio, bring a friend, and uh, we'll give you lunch. And, and, and so, so I took my buddy out there. Took my old scouting reports. So I was 21 out to the Minnesota Vikings headquarters uh, when I was working as an insurance agent. And uh, you know, I, I was scared to death of public speaking at the time. Uh, you know, I was a kid in high school that was always my knees were kind of shaking whenever I had to give a speech or something behind the podium. And um, you know, it, it, you know, just like the NFL commissioner, like we see on draft day, the um, you know, the host of the uh, you know radio show said, "Well, welcome back. We're here at the Minnesota Vikings headquarters. We got the Jacksonville Jaguars on the clock." And then they said, uh, "You know, with the uh, second pick in the 1995 draft, the uh, Jacksonville Jaguars select." And I reached into the microphone. I said, "Tony Boselli, offensive tackle, USC." And all the corner of my eye, I saw Tony Dungy sitting there. Um, you know, he was a defense coordinator of the Minnesota Vikings at the time. I approached Coach Dungy and I said, Coach, but you know, he's in a whole, you know, Hall of Fame guy now. I said, I said, would you be willing to take a look at some of my reports? He goes, Well, sure. And he takes them out of my hand. I, you know, these reports I did back when I was 17. And he says, You know, these are pretty good. He goes, How would you feel about coming to my office next week? And we can sit down, and we can talk more about this. You know, I'll pull some of my old reports out with the Kansas City Chiefs. We can sit down, we can talk, we can visit. I'm like, Yeah, I'm there. So I, I called in sick from my job, right? <laughs> and, uh, you know, sick with rabbit ears. And, uh, you know, I head over to the Minnesota Vikings. That turned to be a six-month unpaid internship with, with Coach Tony Dungy. Um, it was an incredible experience. And then he left for Tampa Bay, and I went back, you know, to the Buccaneers. I went back into the real world uh, selling vacuum cleaners door-to-door and uh, went through a real rough time personally. Uh, just, I lost everything through a real, a real bad breakup I had personally. Uh, I was evicted from my apartment. My, my car was repossessed. I went through a really tough time, uh, went to a different bar every single night to trying to find the answer to life at the bottom of every bottle. And uh, you know, I found, you know, by the grace of God, I rebounded. And at 24 years old, I was sitting at, at Bank of America Mortgage, uh, which is a, a big bank here in, in America. Um, and and uh, I was a loan officer, like at a bank. Right. And so I'm sitting there at, at, a, at a real estate meeting. I'm like, what am I doing here? I, my dream is to be an NFL scout. So all of a sudden, all these ideas start coming to my mind. I'm like, well, hey, I got a little satellite dish. You know, those little satellite dishes for DirecTV and that kind of thing, right? I had this little satellite dish. I, I was like, I can I can call them. I can get the college football package. I can buy some pens and paper. I've got to give my dream one last chance because it's better to me to go to team and not get it than to wonder what always could have been. So I, I started pursuing this. I worked all day at the bank. I worked all night scouting relentlessly for seven months, and – and there I am, you know, like putting together all these reports and, and, and uh, you know, trying to do all this. And, and you know, I, one night I'm, t- I'm, I'm taking a break to get some pizza rolls for, for a little break about 2 uh, uh, two o'clock in the morning. And, and there's a special on TV about this judge receiver just at this precise moment named Wayne Corbett and how he, his dad had tried to – he was an undrafted free agent on a Hofstra university in, in New York. His dad had tried to give him an opportunity, so he sent out a highlight tape of his son – But all the teams in the NFL, and I was like, the low light bulb moment, I was like, that's it. I've never tried to get in with any other team. I've only tried to get in with the Redskins. So at that moment, I started putting together a plan to send out my scouting reports to every team in the NFL. And so, and I was like, well, how do I do that? And my friend at the bank said, well, I was telling him this story. He said, well, maybe you should get your your work self-published. So I started calling publishers, much like I called all the hotels in town when Dexter Manley was in town. I started calling all the publishers in town. And, and, and one guy liked this like, like like what I was trying to do, he said, "Listen, it's going to cost twenty three hundred dollars American money. that's all the money I had, plus the next two paychecks, and it's going to take eighty five thousand sheets of paper because my book was going to be about three hundred fifty pages long and and it's you know, and I said, let's do it, let's do you know, I, I, I'm going to go for it. I put all my time, all my energy, all my money, I put everything into this, right way turn off the field, we're going for it, And so I got this put together. Uh, this 1998 draft report. It was a 350-page self-published book. I, I paid to, you know, get published, um, and uh, with the, you know, it, really, was my resume. You know, that was what my resume was. And I sent out three copies to every team in the NFL. One to every head coach, one to every general manager, and one to every director of player personnel. And, and, and overnight mail. I spent another $1,300 on credit to send it out overnight mail to every team in the league. You know, so the whole my whole truck was loaded with these boxes. Right? And, and, and so the, and I sent this out to every team in the league. They sent them out all over the country, east, west, north, and south in America, to every team in the league with no guarantees, and I went for it. I, I gave everything I had to my dream, and I went for it, and, and I sent them out. And now all my buddies at the bank are waiting. They're like, did you get a call yet? Did you get a call? They all knew what I was trying to do. And the first team to call was the New Orleans Saints. <laughs> and they said, they said, listen, their college scouting director, Bruce Lorman, said, I love what you're trying to do. He said, we got a position for college cutting open in the Midwest, the United States, uh, for the big Ten up in the Midwest region of the United States. You know, please know we're the first team to call you. Other teams will be calling. Mike Ditka, the coach of the team, really likes your book. He said, other teams will be calling you. Just stand by. We'll be in contact. I was like, I'm going to the Saints. I was convinced I was sent to the Saints as a college scout. All my buddies are like celebrating, giving me a high five in the bank. You know, like, he's going to the Saints, you know. <laughs> And uh, two weeks later, when the, the same guy called me back, the scouting director, and he said, listen, I, I hate to tell you this, but one of our senior scouts disagrees with some of your scouting reports in your book, and therefore, we're on, you'll be unable to move forward with you with any kind of interview or job offer. I'm so sorry. I was devastated. Absolutely devastated. Because I, I, I thought, well, you know, it, it's almost like, you know, you, you scored a game-winning touchdown in the Super Bowl, and they call it back because of a holding. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's, like, <laughs> it's just like agony and defeat. And my friend at the bank said, hey, listen, another team, with you know, another coach with as much passion as Mike did to so call you. I'm like, oh, sure, right." You're just trying to make me feel better against one of my friends at the bank I was working with. And sure enough, two days later, uh, Scott Pioli of uh, the New York Jets, who was the, um, went on to become NFL executive a decade for his work with the Patriots. He was the pro scouting director at the uh, Jets at the time. Uh, my pager went off and said, please call Scott Pioli the New York Jets. And I called. And he said, listen, we have a position open in our post scouting department. Would you be interested? I said, yes, I would. And then I was off to the interview in New York. That's mad. <laughs> i tell you what. I, listen,
3: I, I, have, I, I have applied for a lot of jobs. I've got a lot of jobs. I've not got a lot of jobs. <laughs> um, I've I've got my way into jobs I've really wanted in my life. And I've presented very complicated business plans and very complicated um 30, 60, 90 day plans to justify why I'm asking for what I'm asking and what I bring to the business. But Mm -hmm. I could never fathom doing something like that to produce a massive document at your own cost. I mean, that must have been significant in the printing costs to ship that out as well. That's again, postage costs and everything. Knowing that the chances of success were pretty low. Given the fact right. there's only 32 teams, it's not like there's, you know, 500 teams and you know <laughs> 30 32 chances to to get the to get the gig, and then you know to get that call must have been absolutely uh, incredible to, to say that someone valued your work that much, they were willing to give you uh, a, a job. I mean, what what is that feeling like when you know you've put all this work, the journey you've gone into, to from writing this thing to printing it to sending it out to getting all those rejections a couple of little teasers but just a sorry not quite for now but stay in touch and then to get that call get that 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 letter through to say we're gonna take a chance pack your bags get up here I mean what what was what was going through your head when you got there
0: uh it was surreal it, it was surreal it, it all happened so fast um you know it, you know scapioli called me and told me about the position. Um, I started thinking, I, I got to get a suit. That, that's what started going to my mind, because I didn't have a suit or a tie for the, for the interview. Um, it, it just, it, it even chokes me even thinking about the time. It, you know, I, I was at the Mall of America, if you guys ever heard of that, in Minnesota, yep. in, in America, right? And, and, and it's, the stores are closing about a half hour, and, and it was about a week after, you know, I got the initial call from the Jets, and it was Scott Pioli again, um, and, and, he, and I, I called him back. He said, listen, Bill, Bill wants to take the next step with you. And Bill's and Bill Parcells, right? He said, wants to take the next step with you. Uh, when's the soonest you can be out here? And I thought to myself, oh, geez, I, I didn't even have a suit. And, 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 and I didn't say that to him, but I said, well, I probably can be out there in about a week, Scott. He goes, no, Bill doesn't want to wait that long, Dan. I said, well, I tell you what, I, I, I can use a vacation day tomorrow. He goes, great, it's settled. He goes, I have an e-ticket at the Minnesota airport. We'll have uh, we'll have dinner tomorrow night, and we'll have a up at the airport can't wait to meet you by and I'm like, oh, geez. <laughs> so I ran into the men's clothing store. Thankfully, they love football. And they said, listen, you know, we'll get you hooked up. And so I, they stayed like an extra three hours late for me at the store. Taylor's suit got everything ready for me the next day, I was literally flying out to New York from Minnesota for the interview, which was an intense two-day process. I, I didn't really have time to really process what was happening. It was just super emotional, super exciting to answer your question. It was super, like, the adrenaline was just uh, off the charts. I mean, I was, I was like, you know, wow, this is actually happening. I'm actually going for my first NFL interview. And uh, when I got out there, it was just it was just surreal. I mean, the next thing you know, I was in the car. The next thing you knew, the gates. You know, the big signs of no visitors allowed on the, on the NFL gates with the Jets. have you know, the gates open in front of me. There's, you know, the big fluorescent yellow goalposts. There's all these, you know, uh, the Ferraris and all these souped-up rides in the parking lot of the players. And, you know, I, I walk in. It was a two-day interview process. It was just, it was just, it, it was like a dream. It was like surreal. It's hard to even put it into words in the context. Because it was it was so surreal that it was actually happening because I, I I believed it was going to happen. And I hope our listeners grab a hold of this, because during the entire time I was writing this book, I believed it was going to happen. And belief is a big part of, of this process. I, I can't tell you how many guys I've encountered in my life who, who have come to me since I've been in the NFL and said, hey, what do I got to do to be in the NFL? You know, they, you know, like aspiring scouts and coaches, that, you know, they'll hear about my story. And then they'll, go, they'll email me and say, hey, how do I get in the NFL? What do I do? I said, well, one of the biggest things is you have to believe. Because when I was working on that 1998 draft book, right, and, and, and I had a friend of mine, my best friend in high school almost called me. And, and he said, he says, Dan, what are you going to do? He was really kind of upset at me because I couldn't come out to dinner with him and his wife and, and with my wife at the time. And because I, I was on such a strict schedule trying to get this book done, you know, for the, before the draft, because my deadline was April 1st, two weeks before the NFL draft. He goes, what are you going to do when you get done with all this and nothing happens? I, him, I said, Josh, it's going to happen. Next year, I'm going to be in an NFL war room for the NFL draft. I mean, I never doubted. And that was a big part of it because that's what helped me push through the exhaustion, push through all the walls, push through all the doubt, push through all the, you know, the, the, the things that challenges in life when we're going for a dream. Uh, just that unwavering knowing that it was going to happen, then to actually see it happen and actually be there. It, it was surreal
3: that's that's amazing yeah i, I think yeah, you're completely right about about belief and you know it wasn't fool's gold belief like you know you were dreaming it was you know you you believe in your talent and what you can do and you believe that if you continue to work hard it will happen for you and i think that's a really big mm-hmm. thing because a lot of people will say i believe i can play in the nfl i believe i can you know be a sports journalist or or whatever it is but in reality, most people believe it because that's what they want to do, not because they have the talent to do it. Whereas you clearly had the talent for it, and you had that work ethic and belief to do it. And I think, you know, believing is is one thing, but you've got to back that up with with talent and and a lot more and and work ethic, and 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 you did that, which is, you know, an incredibly inspiring uh, story. That you you know you, you can be anybody as long as you've got those those three things. But I want to pivot the conversation slightly towards scouting because a lot of the, the draft coverage here is getting really, really big. Um, it's almost as big as the NFL season itself. Um, we get involved in hundreds of conversations and, and mock drafts and we've hosted mock draft uh, events and we've we've hosted live mock drafts online and all these other things. And, and the, the draft itself and the draft process is huge the combine, which you know I think the combine is the combine, right? It, it's a bunch of people running around. It's like the underwear Olympics. I think somebody famously called it, and I couldn't believe I couldn't agree more. Then it's kind of an accommodation It's almost like a tiebreaker at best scenario. But for people who really want to take this seriously, and there's a lot of people that, that, that do and want to scout and profile players, how do you do it? Like in terms of just you can watch tape and you can watch plays. But how do you determine whether this particular player, and I appreciate it's different for every position, so just to be really general here, how, what advice would you give for people who to watch the game differently to analyse traits that would allow a particular player to be successful in the NFL versus watching tape and watching what happens with the, with the game itself?
0: That's a great question, Murph. Um, you know, I, I think for me, um, the first thing I would encourage anybody out there who wants to get into scouting or try to scout is, is really try to get a hold of the book, Tony Rizzano's Secrets of NFL Scouts. Uh, it's the book that really taught me how to scout. It's kind of an obscure book. I think it's like $100 American currency on Amazon. Um, you know, it, it's, it's because there's just not many copies out there anymore. I mean, this, is, this book's going back 30 years and whatnot but but that's the starting point because that really kind of taught me what to do and how to do and how to kind of put my passion into you know into scouting like understanding what a scouting report looks like you know how to fill it out what to look for in the players it talked about each you know position of the players like you're talking about murph about each you know how to you know what to look for um that's my short answer uh the longer answer would be that you know, it really comes down to just if, if you're super passionate about watching film. I mean, that's where it starts. There's no shortcuts in scouting. You, if you're really passionate about watching the film, you like to record games, you like to watch games, you like to analyze the players. The biggest things you can do is start just taking notes on each play. And start to look for you know different traits you know like like a quarterback for example you know is he a good leader does he have good poise in the pocket what's his footwork like does he set does he look comfortable in the pocket is he somebody that has some charisma to him is he somebody that has some game to him uh, what kind of arm does he have uh, does he just lock in with a receiver and just kind of like stare at him the whole time well you can't if you do that in college you can't do that in the NFL because if you just telegraph the throws. If you don't have a rocket arm, you're going to get picked off in the NFL. So you look for certain traits. You look at wide receivers. What guys can change direction quickly is a big one. You don't want receivers in college that are stiff in the hips that round off the routes so everything kind of looks like a coat hanger. You don't want the top of the coat hanger. You don't want that in the NFL because if they can't change direction quickly as a receiver, the defensive back is going to jump the route for a pick six, if that makes sense. Um, you know, offensive linemen, you're looking for guys that, you know, are are, are are physical and tough. And you're looking for guys that are molars and guys, guys that get into the blocks and finish the blocks. And they're called, John Madden used to call them a pancake block. You know, if you heard that, right? Yeah, and, and you, you got yeah. the guy, you know, you just use a boom. You know, you just, and, and guys, it, it's amazing to me how many guys in the NFL don't have the right technique. I mean, offensive lineman. Does he get his hands inside the jersey? Can, can, Can he hold the guy at the point? Can he sustain? What kind of footwork does the offensive lineman do? Does he does he does he look like he's dancing out there, like crossing his feet over and tripping over his shoelaces, or can he slide and shuffle on his feet and get? Does he move around well? Does he pull well? How is the player, how's the offensive lineman play in space? Meaning like when he gets up by the linebackers and gets on the open field to block somebody, is he agile? Is he, is he stiff? Is he, is he, you know, these are just some general things you're looking for with offensive players. Uh, Defensive players, you're looking for, you know, who can, you know, defensive ends, who who can bend the edges, who can bend, you know, get upfield, who has good pass rushing moves. When I say pass rushing moves, I mean like, you know, guys that can, you know, have good hand movement and. It can spin back to the like, like that, uh, Hunter guy, in Minnesota. Have you guys seen him play, uh, Danielle or uh, Hunter? Yeah,
3: yeah, yeah Hunter. Yeah.
0: yeah. If you guys want to see a great defensive end in, in the NFL, turn on on Hunter in Minnesota and look at the, look at the, look at the highlights. Look at the arsenal of pass rush moves he has, the slam and the rip, and, and and look try to get everything you can in your hands. And I mean, when I did this, guys, there was no internet. <laughs> there was no nothing. You know, now you can go online, you can type in scouting and you can type in, you know, you can find terminologies in scouting, you can find different, different things about scouting, there's even scouting schools online, you can go to and there's different resources avenues out there that you can really help you be able in your quest, you know, if you're really hungry for it, and you really want it, you know, that's what it comes down to and you you can find the resources. And then, and then try to make contacts with some people. You know, maybe you won't get the general manager of the team on the phone or maybe you won't get the head coach on the phone. Maybe, you know, start, start writing letters to scouts on teams. You know, start writing letters to interns on teams. Those guys don't get any letters. And maybe they'll respond to you. Maybe they'll take you out of the way maybe they'll help you. You know, so there's a lot of things you can do. But my thing was just watching a lot of film, writing the reports, writing the notes, and I started saying, well, okay. I mean, the biggest thing I look for is heart. That's the number one thing I look for in a player. You know, who, who wants it? They say the strongest muscle in the body in the NFL is the heart. Who wants it and who doesn't? Because I tell you one, the fourth quarter of the Super Bowl, we're going to find out who wants it. You know what I mean? So that's a big part of it is, is heart and desire and, 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 and that kind of a thing. So, you know, those are the type of things I look for, just some general things, guys, that I look for when I scout players and something I can pass along to our listeners. But there are so many great resources out there. And again, if you can get a hold of Tony Rosano's Secrets of NFL Scout, I highly suggest it because it's the best scouting book, I believe, that's ever been written as far as the fundamentals of scouting, written by someone who won four Super Bowls at the highest of levels, the guy who talked Bill Walsh into drafting Joe Montana when Bill Walsh won the draft Steve Dills instead. We don't even know who that is. You know what I mean? Unless you're really a football guy, we know Steve Dills is right. But this this it will teach you the fundamentals in print i mean when i got Rosano's book i couldn't put it down it became almost like a bible to me i said this is what i want to be i want to be an nfl scout so that's some of the things i mean does that answer your question as far as some of the things to look for and some of the things that that people can utilize and, and help them as they're scouting
3: yeah uh, yeah absolutely and i think it's it's key um i think a lot of work that what we've been trying to do um stocks does a lot of tape watching i i do quite a bit of tape watching and uh, there's a few good newer sort of resources Pat Kerwin's book take your eye off the ball um is is no, another yeah. good resource um where you know it's not about the end result of the play it's you know who's following their assignments, who's actually making the adjustments required, what are you watching for learning the personnel schemes There's a lot of excellent resources um when it comes to to watching tape and you know I'll never be a pro scout um but it at least you learn your process every year and you get better and you start to identify who is potentially um, the top talent. Why are they the top talent in the NFL? And and hopefully you'll start to then identify some busts of players that shouldn't have gone as high as they have done. And and we see this more and more. Now we see so many players who are are being overdrafted, you know, in in recent years, Mitchell Trubisky, um, Corey Davis, these are players that there was a massive fundamental problem that, I probably would reckon most good scouts would have identified and said this Mm -hmm. guy should not be as high up the board as as he was taken and then but then it only takes one doesn't it it only takes one person to say i love that guy in spite of his faults i can fix him don't worry about that and that's (laughs) how that's how these players still get drafted when um when they shouldn't um which is interesting I, and that's the part I really find fascinating is what what do people think that they can try and fix that <laughs> that could happen? You
0: can't fix these guys. You can't – as Bill Parcells used to say, uh, you know, if they don't bite when they're puppies, they're generally not going to bite. No, I, you know, I could not agree more. You get in real trouble you try and manufacture players. Another big thing, too, I want to encourage our listeners with, and this is something I didn't know anything about when I got in the NFL, but I learned, because Bill Check and Parcells and those guys are huge into information gathering. Right. the are saying around the Jets building was in the information gathering business, you know, always gather, whatever give it. Um, you know, there's, there's a ton of work I learned how to do about background. It, the scouting process is maybe about 50 percent watching film and 50 percent, you know, gathering background on guys. And you can do that right on your computer. If you, if you like a player, type his name in Google. See what comes up. Look at his social media. See see what kind of guy he is. See if he's, you know, if he's, if he's got gang affiliations or gang colors or you know, what kind of posts he makes? Because teams right now, I have I, I know people in the league right now, there's so much background work that's done on social media alone to see what kind of guy this really is that we're really drafting. I know teams will extensively do background researches. Uh, they'll, they'll talk to, you know, they'll call the schools the guy played at in college. They'll talk to everyone from the head coach to the janitor, everyone in between, everybody in the grounds. They want to know what kind of guy is this. They'll, they'll research them. Does he have any criminal background? You know, they'll do F, FBI criminal background searches. They'll talk to high school. They'll talk to his best friends. They'll talk to anybody they can because they're investing, as we can see, millions of millions of dollars. They're investing quite a bit in the player. But also, this is who they're representing them. So it's not just watching tape. That's about half the equation. The other half of the equation is background work. And, and I have written articles online, uh, you know, about background information, and everything that you can find underneath my name. Uh, for Hog Taven. And, um, you know, so but that's a big part. That's a huge part of the process of scouting is really doing the background work and the guys as well.
2: Uh, especially in today's world where, like you say, social media is so big, everybody airs all of their washing, whether it be dirty or clean. So you can't even hide anything these days because nobody is willing, nobody yeah. hides anything anymore. So everything's there for you to see. And you better believe that these teams are spending millions of dollars on background checks are going to be seeing everything you do so if you're going to put yourself down detrimentally by social media you're going to know about it and you're not going to end up on their roster
0: absolutely great point for sure so dan let's talk
2: a bit about your book quickly whatever it takes it's based on your life experiences what what's your favorite story from the book i mean we've already had some absolute bangers and uh, if they're better than that then my hat's (laughs) about to come off but have you got a favorite from the book
0: my, I mean, I got so many stories to choose from in the book. Um, you know, for me, one, one, a couple that stand out um, was um, uh, having a chance to meet uh, JFK Jr. at the uh, the Jets playoff game against, uh, right before he passed away, his plane disappeared at the playoff game in 1998 against the uh, Jacksonville Jaguars. And um, it, I was, it was my first year in the NFL in 1998. And um, I was, um, you know, in terms of football stories, I, I was at practice and, and Bill Parcells was, kind of, and all of a sudden Parcells turned around he goes, he goes, hey, Riggins, it looks like we got ourselves a team this year. And I whipped around I looked and I, I was, I mean, eight years old, I had a little like a red t-shirt screen print with a 44 in the front and the back, my grandma gave me, it said Riggins on the back. And 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 there he was. I mean, this guy had even say – I tried to get his autograph my whole life. So so here here he is. I, I turn around now. John Riggins at this point is it, it used to he was drafted by the Pittsburgh before he went to Washington. He's now covering the Jets by first season in the NFL in 1998 as a member of the media uh, for the New York Jets. Right. And, and so I, I look back and there's John Riggins. <laughs> and now it was really frowned upon trying to get autographs in the building. Right. They said don't be a fan here. Don't 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 get out. Don't let Bill see you get autographs. Okay. Big bill or little bills are in order on the building. Don't let them catch you doing it. So I walked in real carefully. I wasn't gonna be denied, right? I walked in real carefully in the building, went to our PR director, and I said, Hey, Doug, Doug Miller was his name. I said, Doug, I said, Do you happen to have some of those white three-quarter paneled, you know, NFL footballs that, you know, for autographs? And he goes, How many do you need? I said, Two, please, sir. Uh, one for me and one for my brother and he goes okay i said you want to happen to have a black sharpie pen too that you know the sign he goes oh yeah so so here i am at like 140 pounds right and trying to be inconspicuous, walking back out to practice with these two big you know these big footballs right underneath my shirt right these footballs and and, and i walk out and here's john riggins and i said um john uh he looks at me. He, he kind of you know doesn't know who i am he says yes i said i'm i'm dan kelly i'm a scout with the uh the jets and he looked down at my credentials. I got my New York Jets credentials hanging around my neck. I said, Would you would you please uh, autograph these two footballs for me, one for me and one for my little brother? And, and he said, Well, you know, I, I don't really autograph. I don't like to, you know, sign things. I said, Well, I, I know John. I said, I know you, I know the story. You don't like, you know, you think people start autograph. I said, I'm not selling this at all. I said, I work with the Jets. I said, John, fourth and one, Super Bowl 17, 70, 70 chip, the name of the play. And you ran ran to the end zone 43 yards for, 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 for the game-winning touchdown. Just give me the football. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: my child hero hands me the football. And um, it's one of my most prized possessions. Um, and he signed one for my little brother. And it was a super cool experience, too. And I shook hands with him. You know, it's just that moment where, you know, every boy wants to meet his hero someday. And that was my moment.
3: Amazing. And I've got no doubt with the stories that you have told that there are many, many more in, in the book. So I think you've whet everybody's appetite as to where, uh, where you know, why they should buy it. And I, I know there's a lot more great stuff in there. But why don't you tell all our listeners where they can find you, where they can find your book, where they can interact with you and, uh, and ask you questions, whether it's about scouting or just any more uh, amazing show-stopping stories? Because... <laughs> You know, we've had some people on here tell some great stories. Some of these are right up there with with the best that we've had.
0: Well, thank you. Thank you, guys. Absolutely. My book, uh, Whatever It Takes, uh, here it is right here, The True Story of a Fan Making to the NFL. Uh, This is available. Uh, If you want to learn more background about the book or contact me directly, uh, my email is also on my website, which is whateverittakesbook.com. Uh, so you can see more background about my about me, my story, and also there's an option to email uh, me on on my personal website. Um, I'm also on on Twitter at uh, Daniel Kelly Book. Uh, you can reach me there, as well. Um, my book is available anywhere books are sold online. Um, I'm not sure what it's like over in different countries. I know my book is available in 11 different countries as far as what the exact address is. You guys have an Amazon over there? Yeah, yeah. It's on it's on Amazon. If you type in whatever it takes, Daniel Kelly. Uh, you know, Jets, it uh, will come up online. Uh, Barnes and Noble, do you guys have that over there too, like bookstores?
3: We used to. I don't think it's over here. I, th- I think there's Borders still, but I'm not sure.
0: Borders, okay. Okay. I'm from Yeah. Anywhere books are sold online. If you type in on Google, you guys, you know, on Google, type in Daniel Kelly, uh, whatever it takes, New York Jets, the book will come up. Again, you're looking for the picture with me, stand by the Super Bowl trophy. You know, I, I'm all over the place online. I, I, I freelance. Uh, I also write for uh, uh, Touchdown Europe on Serbia. Um, and uh, I've done some freelance writing for Sports Illustrated as well. So anywhere, anywhere – uh, you know, if you Google my name, if you type in Daniel Kelly Tim Tebow, which is another story all by itself, if you type in Daniel Kelly Tim Tebow, I've appeared in almost every major publication in America.
3: That one I'm definitely going to have to check out as a gator. So. <laughs> <laughs> and
0: that's a start we didn't have time for. So oh. so that's uh, – I had an incredible experience with uh, Tim personally. Uh, that you guys may want to log on to and, and, and take a look at. I was in the New York Times, USA Today, all over the place, uh, talking about uh, Tim Tebow.
2: Marvelous stuff, Dan. Well, we're going to have to have you back on to talk some Tim Tebow. Being a Gator and a Broncos fan, it's uh, it's pretty relevant. So, uh, Hatch fans coming back and telling that story.
0: Absolutely. I would love to come back and tell that story. I've, I've, I've actually got a, a, a handwritten card from his mother, Pam, uh, when my book Whatever It Takes came out, so I, I I could talk about Tim Tebow for for a good hour. I mean, to me, when, when I when I reached out to the owner of the Cleveland Browns and and put together a proposal to become the general manager of the Cleveland Browns, Tim Tebow was going to be my starting franchise quarterback. I love Tim Tebow, love him with a capital L. He's my guy, and if I get a job like that sometime soon, he's going to be my guy. matter of fact, I would like to make him my starting quarterback and my assistant general manager, making him the first player in NFL history to have a dual role both on, in the front office and also on the field at the same time. So if we want to talk Tim Tebow, I can talk to Tim Tebow. I love Tim Tebow. <laughs> That's my man crush.
3: Well, yeah, we're, we're all big fans of him here. Um, so, yeah, incredible. But look, thank you so much for coming on. We're definitely going to have to have you back because the story is Thanks. just – they're, they're just too good nods. To <laughs> but also, I've learned a lot. I, I think next time, we also talk a little bit more about that route to scouting. We've had a good 101. I think we need to follow that with a with a 102, for sure. Um, and then okay. some of the knowledge of our listeners, because that's always one of the things uh, we love to do. But thank you so much for coming on. This has been an absolute delight and a, and a real pleasure. And, and I'm glad that we've I'm glad you reached out to us to come on, and I'm, I'm glad that we could, we could have you on because this, this has been a great uh, hour or so that we've been rolling. It
0: really is. Thank you for the privilege of being, uh, you know, having me on your part of the world, uh, having a chance to uh, you know, just share with the audience that you guys have. You guys do a great job on the show. And if you're listening right now, just, just remember one thing. If you don't remember anything else, just remember that it, whatever your dream is, it, it's possible. The, the word impossible, is a word that just exists in our minds. The word impossible is something we put a label on. It's just a word in the dictionary. But any dream that's given to you that you can see, you can achieve it. Because believe me, if I could get hired by the best staff in the history of the National Football League with having a limited background in in football, anything's possible. Anybody can do anything. So remember that whatever your dream is, don't let anybody tell you it's impossible because it is possible and it can happen. You just have to push forward.
2: There you are, Rush Nation. From Dan himself nothing is impossible. Dream a dream, go get what you want. Dan, this has been an absolute pleasure, buddy. Thank you so much for coming on.
0: Likewise. Thank you, sir. Thank you both. Very kindly. It's been awesome. And thank you very much. I look forward to being on again. We we could talk all day, I have a feeling. <laughs>
3: uh, yeah, absolutely. No problem with that at all. I don't think we'd have any gaps in our podcast, that's for sure.
0: <laughs> Anytime, guys. You guys do a great job with the show. And thank you to our listeners who listen today. Well, thank you so much. Really appreciate it.
2: We will uh, You're welcome. We, we will definitely have you back on. Murph, you take care, big man. We'll speak later. Dan, will see you down the road. And Rush Nation, as for you guys, as always, don't forget, keep
3: rushing.